Support for Best of Belfast comes from listeners just like me who love Northern Ireland and believe we have a better story to tell. A massive thanks to all of you listening who have already joined the Producers Club, especially our Titanic producers, Barclays Eagle Labs, Ulster University, Young Enterprise Northern Ireland, Gavin Wall, Peter Dixon, and of course, the Orma Baths team. Today's episode wouldn't exist without you. To find out more about how you can support independent ad-free media, get invitations to live podcasts, and submit questions to our guests, please visit bestofbelfast.org. Thanks so much, and really hope you enjoy today's show. Not all superheroes wear capes. In fact, some actually wear a suit and a tie. All right, folks, welcome to Best of Belfast. On this week's show, we are joined by the one and only Ross Moffat. Ross works for a car company called Fleet Financial by Day, but by night he runs something called Pop-Up Original. Pop-Up is all about promoting the local Northern Irish music scene, help musicians book gigs, help them record albums, EPs, and help them to connect to the fans who are going to love their music once they hear it. In today's show, we chat all about music, all about music in Northern Ireland, But we also talk about the fear of failure. We talk about what it means to do what you have to so that you can do what you want to and how to balance work life with family life with kind of the hustle life as well. Had an absolutely class time with Ross. I know you're going to absolutely love this interview. Very, very insightful. I learned an awful lot about how the music industry works and about Northern Ireland in general. So ladies and gentlemen, get ready. Buckle up because it's time to turn the volume up. Please welcome to your ears. Ross Moffat from Pop-Up. I <laughs> just zapped him like seven <laughs> times in a row. He nearly lost his mind at one point, actually. <laughs> Give me a bit of chat about the suit. I always think My that suit? your suit is kind of like your superhero suit. Oh, man, I put this on, turn into somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really is a, a wee bit like, that's well, like a suit of armor, you know. Um, I do a wee bit of work, I say, finance, obviously, but anytime I'm in a room, if I'm in a suit, I do feel like that's my comfort blanket. I feel like, right, okay, I'm large and in charge here. This is this is my room, <laughs> you know. I, but if you put me in a pair of jeans and a, and a sweater, I'd be like, um, I can't even remember my words. But yeah, it, it's, uh, yeah, uniform. No different than any other overalls that anybody else wears. <laughs> that's it. Well, here, I'm glad you were in for the podcast because it means it's going to be a, a knockout success, right? Yeah, if it was naked, it'd be weird. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be weird on that note. Are you ready to get started? Yeah. <laughs> Ross Moffat, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for being here. And thank you very much for having me. No, honestly, really, really appreciate you giving up your time. It's been this interview has been long, long overdue. I reckon <laughs> you we we probably talked the first time, I don't know, I'm gonna ballpark like February last year. Is that Easily, yeah. right? Oh absolutely, yeah. It's it's been one of those things, yeah, we must do this. <laughs> we must catch up. Yeah. We, if you've got a spare hour, come through and we'll do it. Find that spare hour is very difficult, isn't it? Hundred <laughs> percent. No. So it's good because the show's grown a bit more. What you're doing has grown a lot more. Yeah. And so actually, I think it's a good time. It's a good time to do this. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. So really okay. simply, first question, silly one to get us all going, is if you walk into an elevator, Liam Neeson standing there, how do you introduce yourself on the wee ride up? How long has this boy Liam Neeson been in this elevator for, by the way? It's, until, it seems to be un, quite a long until time. Until he comes on this podcast, <laughs> that's how long. I think it'll not be too long. Uh, I would say, hi, Liam. Uh, my name is Ross Moffat. I am the founder of Pop-Up Original. We are an original music showcase highlighting the uh, music of Ireland North and South and putting people on tours and highlighting them to the best of our ability. That's class. So in the music scene, 
you're helping new local artists you're helping kind of not so new local artists as well how like what exactly does pop up do for them let's like really break it down so that everyone's on the same page and knows what we're talking about as we kind of move forward so pop-up uh, most people when they see pop-up they just think we're a promotion where we find ourselves to be a lot more than that we're a hybrid because as the music industry has changed so if we had to uh, evolve we're a promotion a management agency a consultancy uh, it support you know everything in between general advice networking everything we we sort of feel that a pop-up original we bring a real sort of commercial business aspect of the music industry which sometimes is lacking because you know the artists are very creative and they don't really want to be involved in all of that other stuff and we just give them the tools in the toolbox to go and you know be better and if they can't do it we help them along the way and yeah really just try and get everybody on the right track and you know the talent that we have here in this country is absolutely incredible and Nobody showcases it in the right way. I find that we find that there's a thousand voices telling a thousand different stories when really pop-up is really a community when we want people to come together and tell the same story. So if there's five bands, you know, that each one of those is a navigate for the other and their story becomes so much more than just, oh, I'm just this band and I've got this new record because, you know, in the real world, who cares? 100%. So you kind of like a really hands-on musical version of invest ni that's also cool and hangs with people yeah pretty much <laughs> but invest ni just comes out of my pocket which is something seriously wrong with that <laughs> yeah but yeah that's 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 generally what the idea is and it's just um we started it say we uh, maybe give a bit of background as to the how we came about with this if that's okay go for um, it. stealing my questions but go for it <laughs> <laughs> um i sort of fell into music 13, 14 years ago um, when I paired up a couple of musician friends of mine uh, who were looking for uh, a new project and I said, well look, this guy would be a really good fit for you and so they got together and they put together a band and it was the worst name in the world, it was called Edentown, don't ask me why, nice. uh, no real laugh but the music was real good um, they got the band they, they clicked and the, the music was amazing but they needed someone to, to steer the ship and said, like, well you put us together do you fancy having a crack at this? And this is before some far fest was a big thing, and you know we got in there. We were in the first year. We played it, and it was great. And we got played on Cool FM, and yeah, I learned a lot. And we were together three years, uh, nearly four years, and I learned a lot. But what happened was the musicians all fell out, and they all went their separate oh, ways. And I was just so frustrated when they do that because we just had so much momentum at that time, and. Um, but then, so I sort of stepped away from the scene completely, um, and it was only until a few years ago, a good friend of mine who uh, I actually grew up with had moved to the States, and he was the quintessential rock and roller. He was a guy called Jimmy Brown, or he still is called Jimmy Brown. <laughs> um, he was in a band called Matrimony. Uh, Matrimony were signed to Columbia Records, and he was interviewed in Rolling Stone, and they opened up for Blink-182 and 30 Cents to Mars, and just really lived oh, a life. Oh, and yeah. um one of their tracks, uh, Giant, was used on the HBO finale of the show Girls. So the last ever scene that you see is their song, and that's what it <laughs> finishes. And he, he really just, you know, he was just Mr. Rock and Roll. Um, he moved back to Belfast briefly um, a few years back, and we were sitting having a coffee, just catching up. How are you? What are you doing? And he just said, um, yeah, the music seems a bit weird here now, isn't it? I said, what do you mean? He says, not the same as when we were kids growing up. You know, there's no real vibe. I just took a sip of my coffee and just looked at and went, 
What are you gonna do about it? <laughs> and I went, Sorry, this is what do you want to do about it? And then we just brainstormed and said, Wouldn't this be cool? And wouldn't that be cool? And this is what we should do. So we started pop up and we sort of figured um that we would try and make it different because there is only one cat in town for promotion, and that's Johnny McKee and Shiznai. He's the man, he's been doing it for eight years. He is Mr. Belfast. You know, if you want a show in Belfast, you go to Johnny McKee. Um, so we hooked up with Johnny, and we talked to him, and we, we, we came to the gentleman's agreement that there'd be no crossing swords. We're trying to work with each other, we're not here to try and take money out of his pocket. And he's real cool, like he is real cool. And um, we just decided we wanted to be slightly different. Nothing wrong with what Johnny does, he does it very well. But nobody's going to come to see our shows if it's just a watered-down version of Johnny's. So we um, I read a book uh, by Seth Godin called Tribes. Oh, man. You know the one? That's my one of my favourite books. Right. So Seth Godin Junkie. Yeah. So, like, the, the basic premise is that if you can get, you know, enough people to believe in what you're doing, that there would be an organic growth. And I sat with Jimmy and figured, well, look, if people aren't coming to Belfast shows because it's just another gig in Belfast, or if you're if the same band are playing Belfast, I don't know, twelve times in a month, what makes it rare? What makes it special? Why would you go and see Matt Thompson playing in Lowry's when you can see him play in in a thirty nine Gordon Street two days later? There's nothing to drive people out. Um and the community was obviously the musicians themselves. Why not get the musicians together and be bang the big drum together? Yeah. So we held an event in the Bullet Hotel, and it was it was oh wow, it was fun, man! It was real fun. We got together, and I think in that room that day there was something like seventy five musicians, and we we had a little small stage set up, and I tried my very best to interview them very very briefly. Who are you? What you do? Give us one of your songs, and we filmed it. And we did that, and I thought the sound engineer, who was Jimmy on the day, was going to have a heart attack, and Big Stuart was <laughs> filming, was going to kill me, and honestly, because I was just like, yeah, just plug the guitar in and play, and not realising, no, no, there's a whole lot more to it. So we rattled through that, but basically we got we wanted to band people together to say, look guys, there's 75 of you in this room today, right? Let's make this really, really easy. We're going to run shows out of Belfast, Derry, and Dublin. Everybody in this room will get one of those shows on rotation. What we want, we're not expecting you to follow us around the country, but what we're saying is that when we come to Belfast once a month and everybody in this room shows up, and if everybody can bring one more person with them, their granny, their sister, their auntie, their <laughs> uncle, there's there's 150, straight off the bat. Then what you're going to find is that, <clears throat> pardon me, that people have fear of missing out. Why is there 200 people piling in the 39 Gordon Street? <laughs> you know, what's going on? Why am I not there? I like music. I want to go. And that's where the traction was going to ideally start to come. And we did get a bit of a measure of success of that uh, initially, and we had ran shows, but um, <clears throat> unfortunately what tends to happen is that if you don't get your turn real quick, you lose interest, yeah, and you step away, and that tended to happen, and, and we, we ended up with a core, core group that we can still call upon now, but that number dwindled real quick. Pardon me, and we didn't want to just keep rehashing it and throwing new faces in without the actual belief being there. So we sort of had to go back to John Board again and say, right, okay, well, not, well now what? Hundred percent. And Seth Goon would actually say that that's the best thing that could have ever happened to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I know, I I know for a fact I've been in very similar situations, and you kind of got it, and you're like, oh, but but the mathematical formula was solid; it was yeah. going to work. You yeah, know yeah, I mean? yeah, it was a no brainer that had to work, and then it just. Then humanity kicked in. Yeah, but what you've kind of been left with or what anyone's left with in that situation is it's kind of the cream on top. 
Mm. You mean like you? So you had like a big tribe, and now the people who are left are like the super tribe. The super tribe, yeah. I like that. They'll, they'll so, be delighted about and so, and so from there, you know, those people who are like radically in love with pop up and believe in what you're doing. So mm-hmm. you, I think you know, I know a lot of the core guys there, and and they're absolutely class, and they're yeah. in it to win it. Like they're totally they're pop up through and through. You know, so yeah. I think it's because there's no agenda. You know, and what I mean by that is. Jimmy is now back stateside, so he's always a good help and he's always an ear. But I don't play guitar. I don't sing. You know, there's no hidden agenda for me. This is not me trying to promote Ross Moffat music because that doesn't exist. I genuinely believe in the talent that's here and I just think that they're being either overexposed or underutilised and I just want to find a happy medium. And when you say overexposed, do you mean, I'll be very careful not to name names because we live in a very small place. Like, do you mean like, Let's say uh, we'll just make up a band called uh, The Bobs, right? The best right. of Belfast. Yeah. Are you saying Didn't like you? Bobs will be playing in Pizza Express mm-hmm. one night? Yeah. And then they're going and they're and they're they're playing like a proper big gig, but then the next night they're back in some random wee bar, and it's just sort of like yeah, and it's you know uh, like people are they're kind of like because the scene's so small, like people are just kind of taking all the gigs they can just to get the cash in. Well, there's that. So what happens in in Northern Ireland is that because original music doesn't really pay now, right now. We're, going, we're, we're obviously planning to change that. Now, you will get paid a couple of quid here or there, but cover shows will pay this, the bobs probably double what they're going to earn for doing their original music. Now, a lot of the, the acts like the bobs will. Um, <laughs> I like this. I know, There's start, something in this. Start a band, man. Dude, you don't play guitar neither. Do I I do it. <laughs> so it, it, what they'll tend to do is they'll go around and pick up Pizza Express shows in order to fund the recording of their own music. And some will do that until they find that that's not really self-sustaining because once they've recorded all the material and they have it out, they still have to do the Pizza Express jobs in order to get paid at the minute as it stands. Now, the reason why I believe that's the case is that they're playing too much, you know, and there's particular bands who are always the bridesmaid, never the bride. They're always support slots Mm. and they're always being used up as... Oh, he or she'll do a good job. They might bring a crowd. Well, why doesn't he or she get the headline show then? Yeah. You know, and that's what I'm trying to stop and put my foot in the ball and say, right, just wait a minute. If you didn't play 25 shows in Belfast in 20 days, <laughs> you might have a chance of putting, you know, together a real big show, plan it, you know, strategize in terms of uh, publicity, uh, publicity, I beg your pardon, try and get it out there and maybe get 300 people to your show rather than, oh, five people showed up here, 30 people showed up here, or one night, 50 people showed up. Because believe it or not, in Belfast, if 50 people show up to your show in, in some venues, that's a great success. Yeah. But really, the talent that is being showcased at that same event where 50 people are there could be in front of 5,000 people all day long or, or 15, 20,000 and still really rock their world, you know? Yeah. And that's what the frustration point comes for me is that it's almost like they don't see their own value. Whereas I can see it as clear as the nose of my face. You know, I can see that this guy or this girl or this band have it. They have it in spades and they just need someone to push them because they, you know, they're creative. They, they're they built a different way. They think a different way. And that's cool because if they didn't, then they wouldn't be making such beautiful music. But they need an entity like pop up behind them to, to whip the horse around the track. Yeah. going to go off on a bit of a tangent here, but for just whenever you were chatting there, it sounds like you're talking about almost like delayed gratification in some sort of way Absolutely. like it's, it's it's moving away from the drip 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 mm-hmm. gotta get a wee bit of tin in the pocket versus 
having a bit of a sacrifice, taking a bit of a risk because it's it's riskier to to kind of put your eggs in in yeah. in a big basket. And so, why do you think, in general, why do you think people are like that? Not just musicians, but why do we always go for the the easy the, win? Yeah, because it's easy. Because a lot of people um, have a real fear of actually achieving what they want and set out to achieve. It's not a case of I'm going to get that. It, it, they take up the, the low hanging fruit because it makes them feel a wee bit easy. But there's the what happens when you achieve your dream? What then? Now what? Oh, I've told everybody I'm going to do this. Now I'm going to have to do it. Oh, flip. Oh, I've made it. Now what? That I think that's a real fear, and people. I think that people think. If I set my stall out low and it's just quick and easy, then people will forget about that I said that. But if I said I'm going to sell out the Odyssey Arena, <laughs> then what? Yeah. I'm going to have to go do that. And what happens when I do it? Then what? Mm. What happens? Do I fall back to grace or fall back to earth with a big bump? Maybe. But maybe maybe then you go to the O2. Maybe you just soar. Maybe that's where the start of your, your journey really, really begins. And, and with all due respect, I don't think that that's playing in a basement bar in Belfast. I don't think that's where someone's going to walk in and go, oh, right, brilliant. Oh, this guy or this girl's good. Um, one of my favourite bands that we've met, and I'll not name them, but the lads will know who they are. They're absolutely amazing. <laughs> Rock bands, right? Real good lads, good crack. And we were sitting in a bar one night, and I says, what's the plan, lads? You know, And we we're talking just a wee bit about this. And uh, one of them said, I just kind of figured somebody just hears us and sign us. And I went, wouldn't that be brilliant? <laughs> but the beauty of it was, I was able to relate it back because a lot of these musicians still have day jobs. So just, you know, they gotta got to live. So they're, they're doing that too. And I said to the, the singer, so when you started in the bank, did you think the next day you're going to be CEO? And I went, no. So what gives you the right to think that when you play, pick up a guitar and sing a song that you're going to be signed? It's and unreal. he just looked at me and was like, right. It's just unreal. hit him right, right between the eyes. And like, you have no right to assume just because you can play a song that you have the right to be heard or, you know, you have the right to be something or something without putting the work in. You have to work or else it's just worth nothing. Yeah. And why do you think, because again, like this is something that I see a lot and, you know, it's happened to me. You start a YouTube channel and you're like, great, I'm going to have millions of subscribers in a year. Or you start a podcast or you start yeah. a social media page or you start anything that's kind of in that space like you said, we wouldn't we wouldn't do it in other categories in our lives, but for some reason, if it's creative or if it's kind of to do with entertainment, you expect to go viral. You know, right? I, I mean, after we did ourselves pop up, we did it. We started a Patreon page and thought, right, this is it, and we shot a, a version for one of a better term of a VH1 storytellers. We basically got acts up and we took them into a nice setting in Belfast and there was nobody in the room other than us and the acts and we filmed it and we heard their story and heard their beautiful songs and put it on Patreon. No one showed up. Nobody's, very little people have come through. Is that a failure? Yeah. But you know what? I've learned from that. And that happened twice. You know? <laughs> uh, so that's, why do people do it? Why do people expect the creatives? Because they've seen it somewhere else. They've seen a, if it's in the YouTube where a Casey Neistat doing something that they've maybe heard of, like uh, how Justin Bieber was picked up on YouTube or, you know, all, all, all these YouTube sensations. And don't get me wrong, I, th I suppose, you know what, I think it goes back to the easy route. It's easier to, it's easier to put a video up on YouTube and hope that a million people view it than knock the doors and play mm. the bigger venues or have to go out and introduce yourself to the, the people who can influence it to get you there and that's what that's why you know a lot of musicians are introverted and they don't really like to go out and you know other ones behind the microphone and they're playing they're a totally different person off the stage and i and that's really again where we sort of pick up the slack and say well i'll be your mouthpiece 
But again, it goes back to the community thing, was where ideally, and it still does happen, don't get me wrong, band A will be an advocate of band B if they're in their genre. You know, if someone like a Johnny McKee says, right, I need a show on and I need this band, that band will go, well, you know who's really cool? Such and such, can we get them support? Johnny will get them. Or if we're doing the same show, that's how, that's how we work too. So creators, why do they think they should go viral? Because it's easy and it's, it's, it's a nice little fantasy to live out. Yeah. And it's easy scene. Interesting. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I want to backtrack a wee bit again. You were talking about how most musicians are introverted, how whenever they kind of get behind the microphone, they almost turn into another person, oh, right? Yeah. And I, I, I know this to be true. I said this to one of my mates, uh, Dave McComb, used to have a band called Wanderers. And oh, I know them. <laughs> <laughs> I always say, I, always, I said to him, you know, you turn into a completely different person yeah. on stage. Dave, he's a really, really polite guy, very, very... Um, not reserved, but like, you know, he's, he, he Quiet, hangs back assuming, a bit. Yeah. yeah. And then he gets on stage and he just turns into this, he like transfigures into this like rock legend. Yeah. Like, he, he has all the energy of like a Chris Martin on stage. I, was yeah. like, I always sort of like him that there's movements and, and things and, and just how he carries himself off. And you're absolutely right. It's like, sportsmen have it too. They've got, they call it white line syndrome. When they cross the white line, they turn, you know, either real aggressive or just real competitive. But it's like, Someone once described it to me as turn the volume on myself up. When I'm behind that, I am Dave Ooh, McComb. I like that. And I'm right up to 10 or right up to 11 if we're going spinal tap. <laughs> you know, you know, they, they turn themselves the whole way up and that's, that's the loudest version of themselves. And, um, there's a brilliant example of that. I suppose I, I I'm sure some of your listeners have maybe heard of her. It's a lady called Rebecca Fitch. <sighs> One of the sweetest, nicest kids about. Get her behind that keyboard and that microphone and wow you watch for an experience you just see somebody else come alive and it's just it's, it's minutes like that that i sort of as whatever you want to call me with the founder of pop-up that i sort of run the shows for to see that that's my energy and the energy that those acts get when they're doing that i can i wow i, I just don't know how they would feel in there but yeah they just completely come alive it's brilliant to see like r- rough stab in the dark of why and how that happens do you know what? I think it's just a, a, an expression of what they've, what they've locked in and those words are theirs and that music is their own and that that's their, it's almost like a, a release for them. You know, a, a couple of a couple of acts have said it's almost therapeutic to write music and sometimes it's a bit dark and sometimes it's, a, you know, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's just upbeat and fun. Um, but it's just a, a just an, an absolutely, just like an outreach of it all. It just, it just all pours out of them and, that's why you see when an act comes off stage, they're almost sweating and drained because they leave it leave it all on the stage, you know, which is just what it should be. Incredible. And so <coughs> what is kind of, like, what's the dream? Like, what is the dream with all of this? Uh, my dream is to, right, okay, I'm just going to say it. In Northern Ireland, there is no industry in the music industry. There are entities who who perform in the music industry. There are people who dabble but there is no industry. In the South, it's slightly better. In the North, it just doesn't exist. Um, the, the the closest thing we have to uh, its own little ecosystem in an industry is the OEI Music Centre, and they can only do so much for so many people, and they do a wonderful job at it. Um, but it's a limited resource. I'm going to swear here, and I hope you don't mind. Uh, Jimmy... The pop up my Jimmy, he said, um, I was on, he was on the phone, and because he lived in the States, he, he had the phone on speaker because that's how people talk in the States on their speaker, right? 
and he's talking to somebody fairly senior in the music world who I'm not name names. But and he said it's Jimmy Avine. <laughs> yeah. And he said he said to Jimmy, he was they're having a bit of a, a debate, and he said to Jimmy, Jimmy, you're in the fucking music industry. If you can't see that you're a fucking commodity, maybe you're in the wrong industry. Wow. That hit me like a sledgehammer. The acts are commodities. They're in an industry. It's not airy fairy. I, you know, you can't go into the bank and just be like, yeah, I'm just going to just cruise through <laughs> here and maybe be a CEO. It's not going to work. <laughs> you, the product is the music. The act is the commodity and everything else in behind, there has to be an infrastructure. There's no infrastructure here. There's a lot of people, as I say, there's, there's recording studios and there's some producers and there's some um, venues. But there was, I feel until we came along, there's nobody making those links. Yeah. And nobody's saying, right, here's what, in an ideal world, this is what you're going to do. You're going to record with this producer, this, you're going to mix it here, you're going to do this. Then we're going to give you the shows, we're going to tour it here, you're going to work with this publicist, you're going to go around the houses, and we're going to put you on tour. And when you come back, we'll see if we can get you across in the UK. Unbelievable. Until until we came along. So, how, like, where's the money? For an ordinary musician, <laughs> how can they make money? Because, like... The internet is is it's a great thing. It's a funny thing, but you know it's it, what is it like? Not point, not 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 pence per Spotify play, probably something, or something. The, the start I think is for a million streams on Spotify, they make eight grand. Wow! So it's not. I don't even know what's as high as that. You know, a, a million. That's a hard to get. That's you get hard yeah, get. and you think when some of these acts are like Row, right? So Row is incredible. By the way, if you've never heard of Row, check her out. Doing real good things. She's going on uh, support the Snow Patrol tour coming through here. Her biggest hit to date on uh, Spotify has 105,000. Now, that is brilliant. It's awesome. But that doesn't pay. If, if you put down the amount of hours and the recording and the cost that Roe and the travelling up and down the road that Roe has had to do. <laughs> That's the minimum wage. To pay that. It's like, that hasn't even probably paid for her EP. Yeah. You know? But she does it because she believes in it. And more importantly, she has a great team behind her who believe in it. And I think that's the difference in the likes of a row than a band X who don't have a... Row has a manager. She has a support structure. She's a system. She's got... Um, she is part of the Oh Yeah Music Centre. They have a, a program in place for a select few, few artists and she's part of that. But she has definitely, definitely maximised her opportunity there. She's, she's really went to town and deserves everything she gets. But because she has the system and the structure in place, where does she make her money? The delay gratification. And Roe doesn't do it for the money, I don't believe. Uh, I, I've never had that conversation with her, to be honest. I know her manager would definitely say, well, we don't do it for the money as long as we recover costs and we can progress because one day the money will come. Money is a byproduct. Money is a byproduct of every industry that you're in. Don't get me wrong. If you don't believe, if you could be selling hats and sweaters, if you don't believe in that product, you're not selling anything. If you don't believe in your own music and your own hype, you're not selling that. The money will come when it's supposed to come. The bit in the middle is the bit where people fall off. The bit where they think, well, I can't do this. I can't live if I can't get paid. Oh, if there's no money in this music game, I'm out. That's wrong. You're just not, you're not thinking of the long game. You're looking for your easy win. Mm. Go and play in Pizza Express or go and work in a sports store or go and work in a record shop or something. Make a bit of money, live, survive, get by. Everybody I appreciate has different circumstances, but on the whole, from what we've seen, that's it. People fall off. Oh, I'm not getting paid for this. I'm out. Well, then you're not in it for the right reason. It's interesting. I was at a conference recently, and uh, one of the guys said something along the lines of, when it comes to building something worthwhile, it's usually the people who can hold their breath the longest win. 
yeah. in regards to making the money, in regards to the money coming. And what I really like about you, Ross, and what I really like about kind of the gospel that you're peddling here <laughs> is that you practice what you preach. Yeah. Because here you are, somebody who has a day job, yeah. a great day job, you work hard, <laughs> and you do this on the side, and there, you live delayed gratification, yeah. you know? And so how do you balance all of that you know what do you do for a living i suppose just to kind of give people a bit of a uh for a living i i, I work for a company called free financial i'm in business development so my job is to establish relationships with new clients and look after all their transport needs and put finance in place to in order to do that and look after them in terms of service maintenance breakdowns and everything in between uh, we're a vehicle management company so there's obviously other than uh, premises and wages transport is the next big cost to any company so what i do is very vital to what they do um so but again it's not transactional because i could go to any tom ticker harry company and say i get you a van for 199 pounds a month but that's not really what they want they need something that when something goes wrong they can ring ross and say help or can you give me advice on and that's a relationship thing and i think that's that crosses over very, very well into what I do with Pop-Up because it's given me the skills, my tools and my toolbox to go and network and open up conversations where I don't think I would have done had I not been in the role that I'm in now. Uh, and then I also work for, I volunteer for a social enterprise called Outside In. Uh, it's a streetwear company where it's a wear one, share one. Oh, and love them well. Oh, yeah. A few episodes ago, we interviewed Jude, and then about a year ago, we interviewed Dave. So, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I heard the Jude one. They're very good. So, um. I work alongside there, so there, and I have a family of my own. So there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, things to be juggled, and it's just <laughs> I'm sort of laughing at myself saying this because 21 year old me would just be like, "What?" <laughs> it's all about time management. It's all about putting things in their boxes, and you know, working within those constraints. You know, if if I can't feed my family, then I can't go and fun pop up if I can't fun pop up then musicians are falling over so it's equally as important that I have a run and if I can't do all that then I don't have enough time to help outside in so I have to be strict with what I do I have to be sometimes unavailable to everybody but that's okay because it's concentrated effort on the, the task that I'm doing at the time mm. um, so I think that's so far touch wood that's why it's working yeah and so I have two two kind of questions in that sort of department First one is why, like, why are you living the life that you're living? You know, you, you're working incredibly hard. Mm -hmm. You're trying to build a lot of things. Yeah. Why? Like you very easily, I imagine you're sitting on a great paid job with a great company where you're valued. Like for most people, you would have arrived and that would have been it. And you would have just kind of done your nine to five or whatever <laughs> it was. And then, but why, like, why is that not you? I, I I don't know. I I'm just built for. I I always want more, and I know that sounds selfish. And you should you should be grateful for what you've got. And don't get me wrong, I I am grateful for every single thing that I have because I've had to work for it. That nothing's been handed to me. So I think I have a, a, an object fear of failure. You know, I'm not afraid to fail in tasks because you, you'll learn and you'll grow from that. But to say I'm going to do something and not deliver on it, that's my greatest fear. I hate, you know, I hate to let anybody down. Um, when we started this thing with Pop, Pop Up, we went we went fully full tilt, you know. A, a very good friend of mine, she wrote a full article in the Sunday Life a couple of weeks after we decided we were doing this thing, probably even before we had something booked. <laughs> and it was in black and white, it was in print. 
there you go. This is what these lads are going to do. <clears throat> Beg your pardon. And it just made me accountable. And yeah, I just, I, I don't think that I can say I'm going to do something and not deliver it. <clears throat> Beg your pardon. And especially if there's something, if there's other people who are relying on me, you know, and I, I want to lead this by example too. I have two young boys. Now, they're, they're very young. Like, they're very, very young. But even the oldest boy would say to me, what work are you going to, Daddy? Are you going to your music work? Are you going to the homeless work? Are you going to your car work? You know. But I want to show him that you can do what you need to do in order to do what you want to do. Yeah. Something like that, isn't it? <laughs> so I want to be able to do that and say, look, you can you can do it all if you, if you do it right. And that's really it. Unreal. I think a lot of people listening would really be able to relate to what you're saying about... Not so much the fear of failure, but definitely fear of letting people down. And I think you framed it in a great way because it does that doesn't have to be a completely negative thing. It's almost like an accountability mm-hmm. structure, you know what I mean? Yeah. But how do you balance it being a positive thing in your life that drives you forward and a negative thing that is almost like a slave driver? So because if you take the three things in, in, in their, their barest forms, you know, the free financial lights get in and pop up, um, <clears throat> you're going to have wee wins, some days, some days I'm going to have a real good day in Fleet Financial. Everything's going great. And outside in a pop-up, we're going to fall off. <laughs> so there's my balance. Then some days I'm going to, outside in, I've just, you know, we've landed some super real cool uh, partnership or something. Pop-up's doing real well, but I'm having an absolute nightmare in Fleet Financial. That gives me my balance. That gives me, there's an equal passion for what I do, but for different reasons in each entity. Okay, so... I don't see a negative there. Yeah. What happens whenever all three you just go belly up? Like, what what do you do whenever it all hits the fan? Stop, recharge, regroup, and go again. That's all I do. Just everybody's got to have bad days. Everybody's got you can have a bad week. Listen, you can have a bad month, a bad year. It's a time and place thing. As long as you can be put, if you can sort of take yourself out of the motion, put yourself back on the track, and go right. Well, that's the goal. Just go at it again. Because you're going to get there. Like, you're maybe three steps back, but just go again. You'll get there. So, it's tough and it's dark sometimes and it's it's a lonely place. Sometimes when you're the one, you know, banging the drum and you're only the one banging the drum sometimes. And you're the one who's really, really, no, no, lads, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And sometimes you're down at yourself, but I know where it's going to be. I know how we're going to do it. It's just time and place. Time and place. 100%. No, man, I absolutely love that. Uh, starting to land the plane here we bit a couple of stock questions I always like to ask every single person because I think they're really interesting to see how people respond first one's really simply what would you describe as your biggest challenge you've ever faced biggest challenge I've ever, ever faced yeah um, I think pop-up will be my biggest challenge that I've ever faced um, because we're literally building something that doesn't exist or there's a sort of negative connotations or sort of a negative viewpoint on local music uh that is going to be a mindset a mindset shift for everybody not just people involved so that's going to be a big challenge but i, I know i'm going to do it so it'll be fine we'll get there yeah so actually let's just pick up a wee bit on the what you just said because it is there i don't know if it's a northern irish thing in general, it's or, very much a Northern Ireland thing. So why why is that? Why do we? Here's what I found, right? And this is one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast. I know you know this, but we have a certain disdain for ourselves. Yeah, as in we we import our heroes. It's no problem to like look up to someone like Gary Vee or yeah. look up to someone like Chris Martin or look up to someone like 
I don't know, whoever the hottest flavor in football is these days. Yeah. But whenever it comes to local people, we have a tendency to shoot each other down. And I, I wonder if in the psyche of every Northern Irish musician is just this prevalent fear and understanding that we've all grown up with that if you get too big for your boots, you're going to get shot Someone's going to clip you down. Yeah. And there's... Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, I, I don't know why that is. I think... Well, I do know what it is. I think that... It's a jealousy thing, and you can't be that because you're from Northern Ireland. You should remember where you've came from. Well, this is a new Northern Ireland. It's just we're going places that <clears throat> beg your pardon that other people haven't went or been before. We don't have to follow in somebody else's footsteps that have previously gone before. And I think that the shows that are on and local shows are you know there's only maybe two real big venues in Belfast where it's it's a music hall. You know, including the title. That people will come to see the live music. Everything else is a bar. Everything brings in live music to sell their beer. We want to flip that. We want to drive people out. So, the casual music fan will come to watch. Oh, I don't know, Little Mix in the Odyssey Arena. And but if you said a really class pop band from Derry Lavengro were coming down the road and they're going to play Thirty Nine Gordon Street or you know the Marcus Ward or wherever, I mean, nah, I'm not going to do that. But they will clear their schedule to come and see Little Mix. And they'll drop 80 quid plus. Quicker than a hiccup. But they won't pay £10 in to come and see these lads, who are, by the way, on the cusp of superstardom. And then they'll be kicking themselves, saying, oh, I should have seen them <laughs> when. Like, Levengro played in front of 5,000 people at St. Patrick's Day for us. I mean, they've got the talent, you know. But why do people shoot each other down from Northern Ireland? It's, it's, a, it's an old school way of thinking and I think that that's a generational thing. What I have seen is that the younger, I'm going to show me age here, the younger kids, maybe 21, 22 are coming through aren't like that. I think they're very appreciative of it. Like, wow, that's cool. You know, such and such is from here and I think that, yeah, I'll phase out eventually. Just thoughts spinning through my head right now. Do you think that actually overall we are a country with not a lot of early adopters in it? Oh, massively! Like, do you, and you, do you think that yes. that has? Like, I'm just thinking here's like that actually explains a lot of it, problems I've run into and things that I think about, and it probably bleeds into the music industry as well. So if you think about fashion, okay, and I had this conversation very, very recently with somebody. If you think about fashion, London, London's where it's at. In the UK, we're talking about here, London's where it's at. It'll make its way up to Manchester. There'll be a bit of a scene and a bit of a change, and then it'll eventually come across here. That's no different to music. That seems to be the trends that are coming. Even think about a Scottish band. A Scottish band will have to go to London to work their way back up the country and then come to Belfast when their scene is cool. <laughs> it's so, it's badly go backwards, you know. But if they, if people just took the time, even just to support local music, by checking it out online, because people live on their phones, right? Check it out online. If you like what Johnny James is doing, if you really are into what Chase the River are doing, they're probably playing in Northern Ireland somewhere. Northern Ireland, you can get to anywhere in 90 minutes. <laughs> anywhere. So clear it's your true. time, clear your schedule, go and see it. You'll pay probably less than tenner for the privilege. You'll be in an, if you have to go somewhere new, if you want to go down to Enniskillen to see them or down to Dublin or wherever. You're going to be in a new place. You're going to meet new people. You're probably going to have a wee drink in your hand, whether it be alcohol or, or Coke or whatever it might be. And you're going to check out something that you really will enjoy. And you'll be buzzing about because you've helped and you've supported something local. No, that is that is probably the best sales pitch I've ever heard in my life for local music. That that little segment there, I'm going to rip it and just <laughs> and just like pay for an audio ad like all of this because yeah. it's so good. And all, like that's a, it's a really interesting thought. I actually would love to, I'd love to explore that more over the next few months of 
the whole idea of, yeah early adopters why are we like that is because well we want to play it safe because of our history and you know it's i think the people again it's a generational thing that people are afraid to step out of what they know but you know oh i like that band because they like that band all oh, my buddies like that band but do you do you actually like it <laughs> you know like back in my day oh i love guns and roses do you or do you just love guns and roses because you think you should have you know like it's 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 a bit like that now obviously but, i was uh, listening to the song the other day and he was saying something like uh you've got a guns and roses t-shirt on but you've never actually listened to their music like yeah all that like, sort of stuff. it's all that stuff you know and like oh i'm really into nirvana Right. Well, other than smells like Teen Spirit, go ahead, knock yourself out. Tell me the rest of it. Oh, I wouldn't. Know. You know, it's all of that. Yeah. And it's 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 being cool. You know. And and to be honest with you, there's a wee bit of that in Belfast. I'm gonna go to this band because it seemed to be cool, and I wanna be like that. But really, I wanna go and see Levengo, who are a real out and out pop band. Or you know. Even I wanna go see Little Mix of them. Yeah, if like I'm if Little Mix are there, I am there quicker than a hiccup. You know, it's all that, and people do uh, do that, but they just don't admit it. Yeah. Cool. Uh. Back on track here. What would you describe as the greatest achievement in your life, other than my sons? It can be your sons if it's your sons. Just tell, yeah, just tell the truth, Ross. Yeah, <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, they are by and far my greatest achievement, biggest driver. Absolutely light. They drive me absolutely to the edge, and then bring me straight back with a, an "I love you" or a hug or a kiss. And um, I just want to be the best version of me for them. You know. Um, so they will always be my greatest achievement no matter what they go on to do but they are definitely my greatest achievement incredible man incredible if you could take one person from Northern Ireland dead or alive out for coffee or out for a drink or out to a show even better take them out to a show who would you take and why I think it's a fairly obvious one from from my point of view I think I would like to take the likes of a, a Steve Strange who is X-Ray Turing uh, who books a lot of the biggest artist in the world he booked, we mentioned Coldplay earlier on, he would be the booking agent for Coldplay and things, from Northern Ireland, from Carrick Fergus originally I believe. Wow. Um, I'd like to take him for a coffee and just say, look, you throw me a few bones here. Um, <laughs> or I'd like to speak to the likes of any of the lads on Snow Patrol um, and just sit with them and say, right, can you help? You know, they do great work. I know some of them are involved loosely with the Oh Yeah, um, but really, really pick their brains. What what was good? What was just do what you do? What was the good? What was the bad? What wouldn't you do? What would you do again? Um, and just yeah, that's the coffee chat that I would have. Class. Second last. Second last. Second last. Uh, it's about to slip out of my head, so I'm just going to keep talking until it comes back. Yes, gotcha. If or what's coming up with pop up over the next few months? So this is going to go out uh, maybe like second week of December in and around there. What? <sighs> is coming up that people can look out for if they listen to this they're like this guy Ross sounds class I'm totally in I want to get behind local music and where are they going to put all that energy okay so we will have just come off the last Chase the River show which we're holding on the Belfast Barge uh, which is great because Stuart and the guys will be getting sent back to America we are going to send them over to Charlotte and then probably up to Los Angeles to record and tour Brilliant. so that's one side locally here we are going to hook up with a commercial radio station and we're going to bring something fairly big to a very big room noise uh, <laughs> and yeah you're going to hear us you're going to hear all about us yeah you'll not have to look too far or listen too hard it'll be right in your face so just keep in contact with uh, popuporiginal.com and you'll see all the news coming through or on our socials but yeah there's there's real good things coming through unbelievable man last question if you could hop back in a time machine 
and take yourself out for coffee and give yourself like a really good talking to. Like, let's say, <laughs> let's even say before you start a fleet financial, did, uh-huh. did you go to uni? Or no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so let's say like whenever you came out of uni, you just graduated, you you get your certificate, you turn around, the current version of yourself is just looking at you and says, "Get over here, I need to tell you some things." What What are you going to say? Um, learn humility quicker than you did. Keep your feet in the ground. Don't run. Walk. Be cool. Be calm. Just get it done. Don't have to kick things over. You don't have to bang down doors. Well, I'll caveat that. Sometimes you have to kick the door (laughs) down. But not all the time. Don't run around like the Tasmanian devil. It'll all come when it's supposed to come. That's what I would say. Incredible. That's poetry. Man, I, you could put that on, put that anywhere. It's class. <laughs> Actually, this can be the Bob's first song. Stop running like Tasmanian Devil. Oh! There we go. Album track. Right. Listeners, you better buckle up because <laughs> it's Bob's coming. Are coming. <laughs> Bob's are coming. Ross, man, thank you very much for your time. Really thank appreciate you very it. much for having me. It was great. No, good chat. Cheers. Thank you. All right, mates. Absolutely Beezer stuff. Legitimately, Ross, thank you so much for coming on, man. Oh my goodness. Like I said, this interview was long overdue, but it was certainly, certainly worth the wait. It's just totally awesome to hear people's stories and actually learn from them. I get so much out of doing these interviews and I hope you guys listening do as well. If it is your first time checking out Best of Belfast, hang around. Don't be a stranger. We've got like 27 other episodes here and we've got even more coming. So you can subscribe to the show on any podcast platform. You can also check out our website, bestofbelfast.org, which is where you can also find a photo of Ross and all the contact details you could possibly need. And honestly, that's it. Thank you very, very much for listening. And until next time, honestly, have a great time. You know, you get out there, you enjoy yourself, you go out, you know what you should do? You should get out and you should see some great local music acts. You should just get a couple of mates together, head out into Belfast or head out into wherever's handy for you and just tap into some of the amazing talent we have here in Northern Ireland. That's what this show's all about. It's all about celebrating our wee country. It's about changing the negative narratives around it and actually showing off to the world and to ourselves that actually Northern Ireland is pure class and the people who are in it are pure class too. All right. Catch you next time. And until then, all the very best. Hi guys, I'm Rob and I'm from Queensland and I'm a proud member of the Best of Belfast Producers Club. I listen to the podcast for a number of reasons. I love Belfast, Northern Ireland and the country and the people in it. I have a connection with Northern Ireland as our family came to Australia in the 1800s from the beautiful county of Fermanagh. I love what's going on in Belfast, the entrepreneurs, the innovation, the technology and the spirit. My favourite podcast is definitely the Tim Brundle episode, although I do have many other favourites. I support the podcast financially because I believe that quality work deserves fair financial support. It's important that we continue to hear about the amazing people of Northern Ireland and what they are achieving. So if you've been sitting on the fence about joining the Producers Club and you would really miss Best of Belfast if it wasn't here, as I would, I highly recommend considering joining today. You can do so over at bestofbelfast.org. And I look forward to seeing you in the WhatsApp group soon.